Spencer, the other week we were in Reno for the Interbike Trade Show looking at all the cool gizmos and gadgets. One thing that I caught my eye uh, over at the Feedback Sports booth was the Range Torque Ratchet Combo. Whoa, take me through this thing. This is a torque wrench that is innovative, disruptive. <laughs> Fred, this is the perfect wrench for a ham-fisted mechanic like yourself. Here's why. This ratchet wrench, it's basically all you need to work on modern bikes because you can both tighten bolts and you can also loosen them with this tool. A lot of torque wrenches don't let you do that because it would damage the torque mechanism. This one is not like those and it lets you get a precise torque on your fancy carbon components. I know you got a new bike you've been riding, Fred. I don't want you to like have the handlebar shear off or something because you just crank down those stem bolts too tight. But this, this torque ratchet wrench is perfect. It comes with 14 commonly used bits, hex, torx, phillips, uh, and it's pretty much all you're going to need to keep your bike in ship shape and not not dangerous at all for well, you. So that's the thing, as you mentioned it, I'm a ham-handed mechanic. Sell me on a torque wrench. Why do I need a torque wrench? All the modern components nowadays, Fred, are designed for specific torques and that's just how tight the bolt is. And it needs to be tight enough so that, for instance, your handlebars don't slip, but it also can't be too tight you know, because if it's too tight, you could potentially strip a bolt or crack a handlebar, that sort of thing. You want to avoid that. Yeah, I've definitely been in that situation, looking at the bolt, being like, should I kill it or kiss it? I don't know what to do. So uh, our good friends at Feedback Sports have the product for me to overcome this fear of tightening the bolts. Well, thanks to Feedback Sports for sponsoring this week's episode of the Velnews Podcast. Let's get on with the show. You're tuned into the Vel News Podcast. I'm Fred Dreyer. It is a cold, dreary, rainy day in Boulder, Colorado. All of the doggies are wearing their fancy designer doggy coats outside because it's going to start snowing pretty soon. That's right, summer officially over. Uh, joined today by Spencer Paulison. Spencer, hello. Hey, Fred. You are back from the Epic Rides race in Bentonville, Arkansas. Yes, I am. The Oz Trails Off-Road. Did you go to the Walmart Museum? I did pop in there for a brief moment. Didn't look at it too, too closely, but uh, it's right there in downtown Bentonville. Wait, do they have like a greeter, like a Walmart greeter for the Walmart Museum? They, they, do, have, they do have people to help you out there, but they're not wearing the blue vests, unfortunately. That's awesome. We're going to talk all about the Epic Rides adventure that Spencer had in the back half of the show because it's a pretty innovative event, and they had a bunch of prize cash. Super cool. Thousands of dollars. Uh, to my right, Dane Cash. Hello, Dane. Hey, Fred. Dane, this is your introduction to Colorado winter, fall, wet, dreary weather. Yeah, I'm not liking it already. Yeah. So uh, I can't wait for the next four months ahead. So Dane, you're a big time watcher of pro cycling. Mm. Uh, what did you do this weekend? There was no cycling to watch. That's a good question. I went outside, yeah. went up to Chautauqua, walked around a little bit, enjoyed uh, the, the changing leaves, the last kind of joyous thing I'm going to see for a couple months basically yeah. here. Yeah. Good stuff. I, I'm like you, man. Like uh, World Championships last weekend, you know, I sat on my couch and ignored my loved ones and the, the dog looked at me and wanted to go out for a walk and I was just like, no man, gotta watch, see if Valverde wins. Worlds. And this weekend I had no excuse. I had to actually interact with the people in my life. Yeah. I had to do chores. Uh, it, it, it was sad. You're but... telling me you didn't watch Perry Tours? Yeah, Fred? I must I mean, have missed that one. Sorry. Wow. Shots fired at... That one of the one of the oldest French well, ASO. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm not the only one firing shots at Perry Tour. We're going to get into that. Ooh, but this yeah, coming weekend, we have our our last great excuse to sit on our couches 
and watch bike racing with the Tour of Lombardy coming up. So we're going to have a little chat about what to watch for. Are you saying you're not going to sit on your couch and watch the Tour of Guangxi, Fred? Uh, uh, yeah. What's that all about, man? Wow. Yeah. Oof. Tour, presidential Tour of Turkey. Yeah, come on. Sorry, guys. Oof. I'll catch the highlights on uh, Fubo. Oh, there we go. Okay. All right. Uh, but we're going to talk about Il Lombardia, the illest of Lombardias. But first, guys, let's talk about some news. We had some uh, news going on this week. First, Quickstep has found a new title sponsor, and that is the window-making company, De Kunink, which may, it means that we're going to be now calling Patrick Lefebvre's team, the team of Tom Bonin, the team of Philippe Gilbert, uh, De Kunink. Quickstep, which led to a lot of like... Really rolls off the tongue. Yeah, a lot of questions on Twitter about how do you actually pronounce pronounce this. Dane, if you would, how do we pronounce this new sponsor? Uh, as far as I know, it is De Koenig. That's, you know, that's from Twitter. I mean, Twitter could have led me astray. That's not like Twitter's the end-all, be-all of factual information or anything. No, I think but, it is, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah that's sure what I've heard. Checks out. So, yeah. so De Koenig, you, you heard it here. Go practice on your friends. Uh, go to Koenig! Yeah. Just, just, just that great branding that cycling fans love, yeah. you know? It's Quick Step. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Love that Quick Step team. Uh, second bit of news. We had Perry Tours this past weekend, and um, real shockeroo that uh, the whole world tour was upset that the race put in nine sectors of dirt roads. Uh, trying to be hip, trying to be with it, you know, falling in that gravel craze. And Perry Tour, one of the oldest races out there, put in sectors of gravel and um people were people were upset dane how would Flat you tires yeah yeah how would you ca- characterize the upsetness of the peloton well i will you gotta say there were a couple people who did express their uh, their appreciation i mean uh, sep van marka tweeted something good about it there was a couple other rather other riders who were pleased with the course uh, and then you had a guy like patrick lefebvre mid-race tweets out that quick step is not coming back to perry tour wait what team yeah uh de Koenig next oh, year de, de Koenig quick step yeah, that's yeah, right of course yeah. of course uh, sorry, De Koenig. Uh, that race, of course, was won by Soren Krau Anderson, who I think he liked the dirt, right? I think he appreciated it, yeah. I kind of feel like there was a pretty even divide between riders who did well, liking the dirt, <laughs> and then riders that didn't do so well, not liking the dirt. To be fair to Lefebvre, he actually tweeted when Nicky Terpstra was like still in with a chance to win, and he still expressed his displeasure. A lot of the other guys were, were sort of expressing their distaste after not having won that yeah it's a little sour grapes maybe seems a little unsafe distracted driving it's true i I don't like that i don't like that bad luck for quick step um finally piece of news from this week uh ef education first the men in pink have signed a disruptive innovative disrupt the system new apparel sponsorship with disruptors rafa (laughs) and uh this disruptive partnership is going to lead to the creation of tons of um creative content that's going to flow freely onto the internet to take you behind the scenes of this team and uh, show you what they look like with Rafa kits on. Well, and also, apparently, they're going to go to some different races. Yeah, yeah. They're going to, I mean, it's cool. I think they're going to, in the press release, it said they're going to go to fixed gear criteriums, okay, gravel races, and marathon mountain bike events. Huh. Uh, Spencer, you should have a little rundown of the races that Velo News went to in 2018. Yeah, Fred. Uh, let's see. We, uh, you went to the Red Hook Crit. I did in Brooklyn, fixed which is crit. the world's premier fixed gear crit. Uh, you went to a bunch of different gravel races. I did. I went to. Uh, let's see. I went to Rebecca's Private Idaho most recently. Also made it out to Land Run 100. Uh-huh. 
in the Belgian Waffle Ride. Oh, man, heard and of that one. Chris Case also went to some as well, including Dirty Kanza, the I, biggest gravel race in the world. I went to Dirty Kanza as well. It was uh-huh. very disruptive. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. If only we could have gone to some mountain bike marathons. Oh, wait, yeah, I did oh, that wait. too. Yeah, yeah, I went to all the Epic Rides races okay. and to uh, went to Breck Epic and Leadville 100. So uh, where's our office sponsorship, Fred? Man, what the heck? I guess we're ahead of the curve, aren't we? Yeah. Well, we're innovators. Yeah, I can't wait to just like, you know, kick it with Rigoberto Uran at yeah. uh, maybe the the uh, whiskey off-road, or, or maybe maybe he'll come out to uh, uh, Land Run 100 or something uh, like that. Seriously, though, I think this is cool. I'd love to see EF riders out there at uh, some of the gravel mountain bike races and fixed gear races that we went to because they're cool races, man. Yeah. These races are awesome. Built-in excuse for when they get out sprinted by Tom Squinch uh, like they did today as Ooh. well. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. That was a good race. Uh, that's a good segue into... First section here. Let's talk about Tour Lombardy. Um, we have the final classic of the year, the, the race of the falling leaves. Lombardy, one of the most beautiful races out there. And it comes at the end of a block of one-day races across Italy. Uh, it's it's a kind of an unfortunate time for these races because races like Milano-Torino and uh, the... Uh, I can't pronounce any of these races. Sorry, guys. Trevelay Varasini was the one today, I yeah. believe. Yeah. yeah, they're exciting fun, hilly, punchy, unpredictable races, uh, edge-of-your-seat races. They come after Worlds, so everyone's kind of checked out. Uh, but they all lead up to the Tour of Lombardy, which has been going on forever and ever and ever, won by some of the real titans of the sport, guys like Olivier Zaug and, oh, nice. uh, um, you know, uh, Danilo DeLuca, he won it. <laughs> Oh, geez, look at this. Real fan favorite. Um, <laughs> Kelly Bartoli, yep. Raimondas Rumsas. Oh, man, it's just getting... Where's, hey, Jalabert won it, too, 97. No, this is a fun race because it's, uh, it's, it's the Climbers Classic. And not just like the uh, Spring Classic Climbers, but like legit climbers. Nibali can win this. Uh, he did Kudigo, twice, yeah. Joachim Rodriguez. So, Dane, as we look towards this Lombardia, first of all, can you give us... What kind of insight do you have on any changes to the course? Will it be any different from the last few years that we've seen? Yeah, it'll be slightly different. They've had this tradition in the past of switching the direction of the route every year. So they go Bergamo-Como, and then the next year they'll go Como to Bergamo. This year they decided to stick with what they did last year, Bergamo to Como. uh, And they have a very similar route, very similar finale to 2017, except for one change in the final few kilometers. Actually, could be kind of important. Uh, The San Fermo della Battaglia climb, which was a bit of a, I mean, it was a short but very steep climb. Uh, it's it's out, apparently due to threat of landslides. They've had to switch it out with a different climb. This one's not going to be quite as hard. This one is the uh, Monte Olimpino climb. Uh, it's only like a K and a half, and I think the, the gradient's in the 5% range, so not quite as difficult. Could be, uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know that it suddenly means we're going to see a sprinter win the race or anything, but it does ease off the challenge of the last uh, 10 minutes of the race or so. Anyone ever been to this part of the world? Yeah, it's quite beautiful it's amazing yeah i've ridden my bike on some of these roads um it was 2007 i think i had a trip to cover some races out there had a road bike oh my gosh if if you ever want to go just have amazing riding great food and beautiful views go to where the tour of lombardy is como bergamo bellagio and go ride your bikes around 
uh, it's great. Um, Dane, what can you tell us about some of the contenders who are some of the heavy hitters coming into this race? Yeah, so as you kind of point out, it's a it's a race for the climbers, and you see a lot of the climbing one-day specialists are going to be targeting this race, as they do every year. Uh, it's quite often the first opportunity for the world champion to show off the rainbow stripes uh, in, a, in a major race. Alejandro Valverde, he was just out there in one of the uh, smaller tie-in classics, so it won't be his first race in the rainbow stripes, but it'll be his first world tour event in the rainbow stripes. Looks good, by the way. I don't know if you guys saw that jersey, but uh, I was pleasantly surprised. Kind of expected Movistar to screw that one up. I think they really missed an opportunity to do that Spanish yellow to red mm, fade. Your favorite. I mean, come on. Like, forget about tradition. Let's just get that fade out there. <laughs> the McDonald's employee yes. world championship Yeah, the jersey. Ronald McDonald. Yeah. Ronald McDonald. So Valverde will be there, and I think he's going in as the favorite. It's a race that he's done well in the past, although never won, which is a little bit surprising considering the kind of rider he is. Two silvers, I believe. Yeah, twice. to, uh, yeah, 20, 2014, 2013, eh? Yeah, and yeah. so it's the sort of race that you'd think he would really excel in with the parkour being what it is. You never know if you're going to have a bit of world champion fatigue, though. You haven't seen a, a rainbow jersey win this race since, I think, Paolo Bettini way back in 2006. So The cricket. It's been, yeah, it's been a little while since the cricket won his, uh, won his double that year. And there have been a couple climber world championships since then. But Rui Costa and Mikhail Kwiatkowski were both kind of duds when they went to Lombardia after winning their world title. So Valverde is a big name, I think. But you got a bunch of other guys, too. Julian Alaphilippe, uh, Fred's and my pick for the world championships. He'll be there. He's looked pretty good, and I think this is a race he can do well in. Hopefully he'll kind of get some form back. You got uh, guys like Dan Martin. Uh, he's won the race before. Thibaut Pino has done really well in this race in the past. Uh, Simon Yates. Tim Wellen's always a fun rider to watch when he goes on the attack and probably doesn't get anything out of it. But, you know, exciting. Uh, Egan Bernal is back. That's a big one. He uh, had a pretty nasty crash at Classica San Sebastian and kind of just, like, broke his face. Uh, and, and was pretty messed up there for a little while. He has returned to racing, so that's pretty good to see. Yeah. Here's a name for you. Michael Woods. Mike mm. Woods. Mike Woods in the mix at Worlds, and he was in the mix today at Trey Valleveracin. Um, as I alluded to, Tom Scoinch beat him and his teammate Rigoberto Uran, but uh, Woods looking good to get in that final group. I, I'd say I'd like to see Woods win Lombardia. Aggressive but unlucky. Yes, today. and maybe maybe a little bit overestimating his sprinting abilities. Yeah, Tom's just dusted them both. Yeah, Oof. yeah. I'd uh, say get away alone, Mike, and uh, solo to that that win in a big monument. I think you bring up a good point though, which is that we can look at some of the all stars from Worlds and pretty much shoo them in into the short list here. Another name I'd like to throw out there though, Boca Molima, who just won the Grand. Premio Bruno, but he won a race. He did. He won one of these early races and did so. uh, I felt like in dramatic fashion because it was a real team victory for Trek Segafredo. Team, uh, you know, they were throwing a bunch of punches and set up Balka very well. Uh, Any any favorite versions of this race from years gone by? Any extra dramatic? What's your favorite uh, Lombardy? Well, I can actually mention a, a favorite that I didn't say in this uh, in this opportunity here, because Vincenzo Nibali is going to the race, and nobody really knows what Vincenzo Nibali is, is doing right now in terms of the form, because he's still coming back from that crash. But Vincenzo Nibali, also the the uh, star of the show and my favorite edition of this race, I think it was back, it was 2015, I guess it was, and he just uh, he dusted everybody on a final descent, and it was it was like everybody knew it was going to happen. I mean, there was a tough descent in the finale. He's up there, and with 10 minutes to go, the commentators are saying it. Everybody's thinking it on Twitter. Okay, Nibley's going to get away on this descent and win the race. 
and that's exactly what happened. And when, when you can do something that everybody knows you're going to do and still just crush everybody, that's extra impressive. Vincenzo Nibali, hopefully back in shape to maybe get up there again this year. I loved the 2016 version when it was uh, Esteban Chavez coming to the line with Rigoberto Aran. And I believe Roman Bardet was the third one there. Or maybe yeah. Bardet was dropped. He well, was... Diego Rosa ended up second. Diego Rosa, yeah. Diego Rosa. And they just took turns attacking each other in the finale, came to a sprint, and noted sprinter Esteban Chavez took the win by like half a freaking tire length. It's a long, difficult race. So, you know, it's not exactly, it doesn't necessarily come down to pure sprinting chops as much as just who has one last match to burn and that grind to the line. Yeah, Rigo Aran's like not an awful sprinter yeah. as climbers go. And I think a lot of people expect him to win that. And he wasn't even close that year. I think it was just, as Spencer pointed out, it's just that hard of a race. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So as we look at the start list, do we want to make some picks? Do we want to put uh, our proverbial money not actual money where our mouth is because we are modest cycling journalists and move every dollar counts there buddy uh dane go out on a limb who are your who's your pick to win uh i'm gonna go with valverde for this one i think uh he might be the guy who who uh, actually does win the world the uh, lombardi in the world championships jersey uh, 12 years after Bettini did it, I think he's just too good. And he's in good form right now. He doesn't seem to have lost too much of a step. He was 15th at Trevale Varacine uh, today. So, yeah, why not Valverde? Mm. Mm. Well, sorry to say this, but I think Michael Woods is going to win today. Oh, yeah, that'd be pretty cool, eh? Yeah, Canadians, eh? Yeah. I, w- uh, would he be the first... Let's look at pro cycling stats real quick. He, Canadian winner? Uh, I think yeah. he would be the first yeah, Canadian. I mean, who, like, I'm trying to think of who else it might have been. That yeah. would have been first know. first Canadian to win it. I that's my pick. Michael Woods looking great today at the uh, Trevole Varacini Italian one day, and he was in the mix at that world's uh, finale. So but I, I I got the Canadian for this one. Boy, we have a lot of strong people. We have Roman Bardet, Nibali, Fuglesang, uh, Rafa Micah starring in a Hans Grohe ad online this week. Oh, I week. saw that today. Just showering. Yeah, I was greeted by his Ooh, just body showering on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa, who's that guy? Hey. Uh, I am going to go with Juliana Philippe. I feel like he needs some redemption. Oh, oh Fred, at, sorry. What, what, what? Break, breaking news, breaking news. I think I saw, yes, he is not, no. not going to be, I don't think he's going to be in Lombardy. I, I'm seeing this right now on Wait, my... De Kooning What's going on? Will not have Julian Alaphilippe there? Yep, Julian Alaphilippe said he won't race Saturday's Tour Lombardy. I'm, uh, this is my loose French translation from our AFP Newswire. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, I don't, some... I don't know why. He says he, let's see here. He's ending his season right now. He says he's very tired after World Championships. Um, right decision to make. Season was very long. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Bon voyage. News breaking mid-podcast. Abiento. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, yeah, pretty much. Eh, it might have happened to like an hour. It happened a couple weeks ago, but uh, we don't read everything. So here. don't pick him, Fred. Okay, I will pick a different Frenchman, and that Frenchman is Thibaut Pinot. He was very aggressive today. He looks to be on... Un- don't don't <laughs> this laugh is at ridic- my Thibaut Pinot This is ridiculous. Lombardia has like the hardest descents, and Thibaut Pinot descends like a frightened old grandmother. <laughs> and yet... Thibaut Pinot's been on the podium in this race before. Yeah. Also, little known fact about Thibaut Pinot, he's an Italophile. He loves Italy. He loves See? racing Italy. He's got, like, tattoos in Italian because he's obsessed with Italy. Dane knows. He's got a shot, maybe. He knows a lot of weird stuff. Yeah, I don't Dane know. Dane knows about Thibaut Pinot's tattoos. Dane, what kind of reporting have you been doing? Yeah, good question. Uh, well, this is, this is pretty well known in the okay. press room. He loves Italy. You know, why not? Okay, so I got Pinot. We got a Pinot, a Valverde. And a uh, Woods. Woods. Like Woods. I eh? like it. Yeah. We will uh, 
come back to this topic after the race and laugh at me for being wrong. Uh, all right, moving on from Il Lombardia, we're going to talk about the Epic Ride series. But first, a break. Spencer, you were out at the Epic Rides race this past weekend, Oz Trails, and uh, you were racing your own bike. Talk to me about some of the gear you were using out there. That's right, Fred. As always, I do the amateur race here at the Epic Rides uh, series races, and uh, one of our sponsors of that uh, coverage is Smith, and Smith set me up with a new helmet for this race, in particular the Forefront 2, which came out just earlier this summer. It's a pretty sweet setup, Fred, because it's got more venting than um, the helmet that I've previously been using, which is really nice because it's hot and humid down there in Arkansas. And uh, it's got that uh, that honeycomb uh, that honeycomb protection choroid material, which is um, it's it's lightweight, it vents well, and it helps keep my he- my head intact. Uh, fortunately, I didn't have to test uh, test that material, but I can tell you, I'd feel good about it if I did. What I like about the choroid is it's super light. You know, yeah. some of those mountain bike helmets can feel a little bulky because you need the extra coverage. But when I put on those Smith helmets with the choroid stuff, you're real light and springy. You feel like. You can just like jump around, like you have nothing on. Yeah, even with uh, MIPS protection system in this helmet, it's just 380 grams. And that even includes a visor too, which also came in handy because it was kind of rainy during my race. So I had to keep that rain out of my out of my sunglasses and out of my eyes. Well, thanks to Smith for sponsoring this week's episode of the podcast and for sponsoring our awesome time competing at the Epic Rides races. Well, all right, back to the show. Okay, Spencer, you were at the Epic Rides race, you raced the amateur race, you watched the pro race. First of all, the whole storyline around this event was that this is the new Epic Rides series event, Oz Trails in Arkansas. What's the significance of this race? Yeah, Fred, this is the first time they've run this event, and it's very significant for a number of reasons. First off, just strictly on geography, there's this is the first Epic Rides race to really move into the eastern half of the country, uh, Arkansas obviously kind of in the south, a little bit Midwest as well, makes it a lot easier for people to get to, uh, people who maybe wouldn't necessarily get out to some of the other Epic Rides events, such as you know the Whiskey in Arizona or, uh, or the Grand Junction race here in Colorado. So it's cool that they're expanding geographically. It's also really significant because this race has offered the biggest prize purse of, from what I can tell, any American cross-country race in history. There was uh, in total about uh, $71,000 on the line throughout the course of the weekend. So that's a $60,000 purse just for the Sunday pro backcountry race. And then there was $1,000 on the line for the Preems and the Fat Tire Crit on Friday. And then, of course, the series was wrapping up. So in the series overall, there was $10,000 on the line. And and the great thing about Epic Rides and also I'd say most mountain bike races these days is that the prize purse is evenly split between men and women. So totally equal split in the prize purse. Um, Parity is great. And it, uh, it, it really brought out a strong field of professionals, both men's and women's race. So Dane, I'm thinking Arkansas. I'm thinking money. I'm thinking mountain bike trails. What comes to mind when you put some of these components together. Yeah, my first thought was Ozarks, that show. Yeah. 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 Is that what you're up to? You uh, I like that too. some money there, I like Spencer? that too. That's not exactly uh, All right, where are you going with this? The other thought I was coming to my head though, Walmart. That's right. Mm, Walmart. Yeah, that's right. 
Yes, the money the money here flows from the Walton Family Foundation, which is the charitable arm of the Walmart uh, Corporation, and and by that I mean the the, the money that goes into building all these trails and the and the cycling uh, amenities throughout Northwest Arkansas, especially Bentonville, which is the hometown for walmart's headquarters um you know uh, the oz trails off-road part of the epic ride series it's not really necessarily affiliated with that foundation or anything but the race itself takes advantage of this proliferation of trails in the area by bringing this race here running it on these trails um you know being part of the community and also really I'd, i'd say bringing more attention to this place as potentially being a real great mountain bike destination. And there's, uh, you know, there's there's hundreds of miles of trails between Fayetteville through Bentonville all the way up to Bella Vista, which is the town north of Bentonville. So they've done a lot to expand the mountain biking opportunities in the area. I think it's really funny because historically in the bike industry, when you would talk about Walmart mm. and bikes, it would be like, oh yeah, those Walmart bikes, those like weird looking dual suspension bikes that you'd see guys like riding to, I don't know, riding to work on. Um, but you know, and this has gotten some coverage in the press, but the Walton family themselves have some pretty dedicated, passionate cyclists. Um, there's Rob Walton, one of the sons of Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart. I interviewed Rob Walton a couple weeks ago. And, you know, he's, I believe, in his 60s or 70s now. He doesn't ride as much as he used to, but he was like a big road racer, club racer back in the 80s. You know, he's on the... Uh, USA Cycling's Champions Club's given a lot to cycling, participated. And then there are the two brothers, Tom Walton and Stuart, who are from the following generation. So they are grandchildren of Sam Walton. And those two are the guys who have really sort of been strategic in investing in cycling. You know, they are part owners in Rafa. They have put a lot of money towards these mountain bike trails because I know that both of them are uh, pretty dedicated mountain bikers. And yeah, they've had this vision to turn Bentonville into a mountain biking destination, a destination for a lot of different things. But um, yeah, Spencer, so you got to actually ride and race on these trails. Um, how would you describe the terrain there? What was it like? What's the riding actually like there? Yeah, so it is part of the Ozark Mountains, which means, I mean, mountains not necessarily like we would find in Colorado or the Rocky Mountains, but they're they're kind of rolling hills. Um, they're, they're pretty steep, so there's a lot of ups and downs in these little river river valleys, that sort of thing. It's, uh, it's really interesting because these trails weave in and out of all these neighborhoods all up through the area, and there's a lot of good access to these trails, even though, you know, people have their houses right there. There seems to always be easements and ways to get into the trails, which is great. And, uh, you know, overall the trails flow, they're fast, they're, they're pretty, um, fun in terms of having berms and jumps and other things like that, but they're deceptively tricky because, uh, a lot of the, the surfaces out there are kind of this flint gravel, almost like what you might see at Dirty Kanza. And that leads to a lot of flat tires. In fact, the pro men's race was really, really affected by flat tires. I mean, there were so many crazy stories from that race. I, I, I did a little story on Monday. You can find it on velonews.com, but just these guys who would, you know, they would flat and they'd repair it and they'd be back in 18th place and then they'd ride up to third place and then they'd flat again. And it was just like the most unpredictable and wild pro mountain bike race that I've ever been a part of or seen. And uh, it, it was, it was pretty, it was just a very memorable day. And also 
it was stormy, thunderstorms coming in, that sort of thing. So definitely lived up to the to billing of being an epic ride. So you talked about the prize money and the significance there. And um, yeah, to put this in perspective, like 70 grand, that's a lot. The winners of both the men's and women's backcountry race got 10 grand. I yep. mean, uh, back in the day in American mountain biking, you'd often see races that paid out that much, 10 grand or so, or they'd give a car, like a Jeep or whatever mm-hmm. to the winner. But in today's mountain biking world, that that's pretty big because, you know, in the last decade to 20 years, a lot of the big sponsors have pulled out of mainstream mountain bike racing. And there's a historical context here, which is that Todd Sadow, uh, owner and operator of the series, has this vision to make the Epic Ride series the biggest mountain bike series on the globe. And, you know, that puts him in contention with, like, the World Cup. He's never going to be the World Cup. Because that's, you know, that leads towards Olympic qualification and it's huge in Europe, yada, yada, yada. But one way that he can compete is to have big prize purses like this to get the pros out. So now, as I understand it, you caught up with Todd. That's right. To talk about this. Yeah, I did, Fred. And um, it's also interesting that you mentioned kind of the heyday of mountain biking from, you know, maybe 20 years ago. Because that's really Todd's vision is to um, return to that kind of golden era, both in terms of the payouts and the excitement and the professional support and participation of amateurs, but also the strict format of the race where it's it's a long backcountry race. It's not some sort of short manicured World Cup type course. So in every way, he's looking to the past to, to find a way to the future. And it seems to be working. And I did catch up with him kind of late night on uh, Sunday once everything had wrapped up. And we, we talked about the prize money. We talked about his newest uh, corporate sponsor for the series, which is V8 Energy Drink. Um, so the, you know, a non-endemic coming into the sport, which is always exciting to see. And uh, eventually we kind of got interrupted by the Cliff Bar team as they were walking out of their restaurant. And from there, things kind of like went off the rails and that was sort of the end of the interview. But it's um, it's always a good time. And Todd had plenty of interesting insight on how he's building the series and why it's important for him to offer such a big prize purse to the professionals. Okay, so Todd Sadow, man behind Epic Rides. We're walking through Bentonville, Arkansas, like 8.30 at night. And today you gave away $70,000 to a bunch of mountain bikers who are really muddy (laughs) after riding 50 miles through the trails here. Hell yeah. So by all accounts, it seems like it's the biggest prize purse ever for an American mountain bike race. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. Well, so talk, talk to me a little about this. Did you go, you know, I mean, I'm sure the planning goes back many years. Um, so did, is it, was there a number you were shooting for when you looked at this race, the final of four races in your Epic Ride series, the Oz Trails Off-Road? Did you look at it and say, I want to offer this amount of prize purse, or did it kind of organically develop? Uh, so it, it wasn't a number. It was a... And I wish I was sophisticated enough to call it an algorithm. It was a multiple. So this event is the championship event in the series. It's the final event. And, you know, it'll in time, it'll take more time for it to truly become a championship. But as the final event, we wanted we want to offer a double cash purse. Mm-hmm. And so when we sat down with the community here, 
and said, hey, when do you want the event to be and what do you want it to be among the series? They said, well, we want to be the final event. Mm -hmm. And then I said, okay, so then that means that we're going to do a double purse. And, uh, and there, and then, you know, that, that's how it came together. So, so in, in Prescott, in Grand Junction, in Carson City, we have a $30,000 purse per stop here at 60000 mm-hmm. And then there's the additional 10 for the overall series that gets doled out as well. How difficult is it to secure that amount of money for a prize purse? <laughs> Depends on how lucky you are. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it, you know, the whole the whole company is is not built around. Um, we've never been worried about making money, and I, that might be like a, an Achilles heel one day, but it's always been built around um, like four pillars uh, to 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 create entry for mountain biking. Well, well, the, besides the four pillars, like it's always been built about resurrecting mountain biking. Right. That's always been the objective, and. And, and, and 12 years ago, 2007, I think, is when I sat down with, like, le- leaders, leadership in cycling in America and said, I got this idea. I want to do this. Mountain biking needs to be picked up and dusted off. And they all said, we really don't care a whole lot about mountain biking. And so the, the idea has always been to, to provide a mountain bike experience. And, and to do that, you got to be willing to give a lot away on the front end. And so, and so, to, to, to build an experience which proved to be something people wanted as we developed it, we've had to give a lot away, which never, like, it never, there's never a return in mind, you know? Mm-hmm. So to give away the money that we do for the purse, it was all about securing the money. Mm-hmm. And, and to get away from gimmicks, you know, we'll give away $100,000 if this many people show up, or those things. Like, mm-hmm. it was always just about, like, if we can do these things, then we will have a successful event experience and event series and so i think this weekend is a, a strong indicator that we've we've made some significant progress in the last 12 years mm-hmm. um so you recently just in the last month or so brought on v8 energy as a big sponsor um was some of that sponsorship money part of the prize purse no no, they were, I mean, they weren't a criteria for that purse. They weren't a requirement. Mm-hmm. We had committed to that purse when we announced the event in September. Okay, before before the sponsorship was correct, fully confirmed. Right, oh, okay. yeah. Um, and then that sponsorship really came as a product of announcing the event. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mentioned it, right? You know, when we announced the event, uh, you know, they got wind that we were coming to the community and, uh, and said, you know, hey, we'd really like to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. And um, and so it's been, you know, as we found out this weekend, it's an incredible match. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> the, the the audience really enjoys the product. And, yeah, I've yeah. been literally caffeinated for the last like <laughs> seventy two hours. Isn't it amazing. Um, yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, how does so a pro prize purse directly only impacts you know what twenty riders in the men's race, twenty riders in the women's race. At least for I think the, it impacts the whole so, industry. Yes, so that's my question. So how does that impact just uh, the average participant who comes to your race? Well, okay, so then that goes back to those four pillars. Um, we want to give the beginner a place where they can feel welcome and become a mountain biker. For the first time in their life, they may be sniffing around, but this is their chance to show up and become a mountain biker. Um, we want to give the amateur a place where they can go and be challenged. 
and and you know there's the beginner is someone who's been riding for two to three years the the amateur is Spencer it's you and me we've been riding for our whole lives mm-hmm. you know I'm probably 25 30 years deep in in actually riding whether it's a whether it's you know racing on the road or or on the mountain bike or whatever it might be but like to entertain that person right mm-hmm. to give them a place where they can go and feel like they're challenged and uh, and gonna get the value out of the experience that they want from something that they're gonna set aside disposable income vacation days all those things or bring their family mm-hmm. um, the industry needs a place where they can go that's going to have a consistent presentation where they can show off their wares and know that they're going to show up and have a professional presentation that represents the sport, that pulls together the region's community of mountain bikers uh, and cyclists of all genre um, so that they have, a, 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 I guess, a, a successful platform to, to peddle their wares, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the pro, which getting to the point here. Um, the pro deserves to be awarded, rewarded for mm-hmm. their efforts. To be a pro mountain biker, it takes just as much commitment as it does to be a pro uh, NFL, NBA, MLB athlete. Like these are people that are committing their lives to it, and and they deserve real reward. And so, um, the cash purse, you know, to have V8 plus energy on board is huge, and it'll allow us to be more nimble to do things like some of the requests that the pros had volunteered during the pro rider meeting. Hey, can you, can you give us like bonus points or, or bonus time for, you know, winning preems or, you know, winning the crit and stuff like that. Right. Those take a more nimble management team. Long-term suggestions. Of yeah. course, not for this weekend, obviously. Oh no. Right. Yeah, no, it, right. Was, it wasn't for the weekend, but that's yeah. what we get to have those open dialogues right. in this environment to mm-hmm. talk about the future and to shape it together. And that's important from our end to know that we're doing what the community wants. Right. We mm-hmm. don't want to just make decisions in a, in a vacuum, you know, mm-hmm. but to do those things, it takes more resources. Like it might sound really simple to the listener. Oh, we'll just, just do that. Right. No, that takes like, we are at max bandwidth. We are giving everything all we can all, you know, the nine full-time people in Tucson and the other, uh, eight part-time people that are in Tucson scattered throughout the country. We're, we're over committed to this thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you bring in someone like VA plus energy, it allows us to do more and to be better and to, to keep growing the series and, mm-hmm. and, and in turn to grow mountain biking. Mm-hmm. And then what sort of feedback did you get from the pro riders, uh, at least this weekend, or perhaps when you announced the double purse, I mean, what sort of excitement was there? Um, so there was a pretty warm reception to the purse. I think there was a lot of jaws dropped. You know, it was just okay. like a holy smokes. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and we we announced this two September's ago at Interbike, right? Um, and and when we did, they were just like, oh my god. Yeah. We have to wait two years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was certainly uh, the waiting game was you know something. Um, and then this weekend, I think that uh, it it brought out a really good crop of talent in the first year. Really the inaugural, yeah. yeah, the inaugural Oz Trails Off Road, we had 90 pros registered. Um, we had any, you know, we had new faces that came from the Midwest and East Coast that we're not used to seeing at off road series Don't events. Work. Look at these guys. Speaking of pro mountain bikers, Bush, Katherine Nash, Catherine Pendrel. Stepped up. Do you guys eat at that restaurant Hannah every night? Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> we actually yeah, ordered the same yeah, stuff too. Different flavors, just variations. Of how are you 
Yeah, cool. I mean, that's one of the reasons why he has, uh, you know, top American and even international racers coming there. I mean, earlier this year, we saw Annika Langvad at the race. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen uh, Howard Grotz, Kate Courtney. Yeah, you know. Catherine Pendrell raced yeah. this final S- stop, stars, two-time world champion. Stars of the World Cup beginning to trickle in. Uh, before we get off this topic, Spencer, you also um, have some have an interview uh, concerning the Walton family and their focus on the trails. Uh, tell me, tell me a bit about this. Yes, I caught up with Brendan Quirk, who is um, in charge of. Uh, he, he's the director of cycling, basically, for this organization called the Runway Group that helps the Walton Family Foundation kind of channel their uh, charitable giving into the ver- all just all the different ventures related to to cycling uh, he is um, he previously was in charge of Rafa North America and he's got a pretty deep history in cycling he him, himself in fact uh, back when he was a kid coming up in Arkansas raced bikes with Rob uh, Walton like you said um, back in the day and uh, Brendan has some insight about um, you know what the objective is why why the Walton family thinks this is important why they why they don't Donate so much, why, how much they donate, all these sorts of things, and um, also uh, credit to Brennan, he helped me uh, put some batteries in my podcast recorder because I realized they were dead when I started when I showed up at his house. But he was kind enough to donate two AA batteries to Velenu's cause, so credit to him for that. Um, here's uh, here's our interview with Brennan. Okay, here with Brennan Quirk here in Bentonville, Arkansas. Tell me what you do here, Brennan. I am the cycling program director for an organization called the Runway Group. The Runway Group, we um, public-private partnerships uh, to further the quality of life in Northwest Arkansas. We focus in a couple of key areas, uh, arts and culture being one, uh, aviation being one, cycling being one. Um, a couple of other areas as well, but uh, I, I oversee the, the cycling program, which means uh, thinking about uh, potential uh, for-profit investments uh, in relation to cycling uh, in the region, whether it's incubating businesses or parties acquiring businesses and relocating them here. Um, we do a lot of work in philanthropy, thinking about um, how you use the power of Nonprofits to, to further um, cycling initiatives here in Northwest Arkansas. And lastly, uh, I've spent some time with public policy, working primarily with local and state level uh, politicians here in Arkansas to think about the future of transportation and cycling's role in, uh, in as part of that. And are you originally from Arkansas? Not originally. I moved to Arkansas when I was very young. I was about 10 years old, and I moved to Little Rock, and I spent most of my life in Little Rock and moved to Bentonville early in 2018. Okay. And so what I'm getting at here is Bentonville has changed remarkably in probably 10 years or so, would you say, in terms of the amount of mountain bike trails that are in this area between here and Fayetteville and then up to up north of here as well. Um, talk to me about that. Yeah, absolutely. The, the city has changed. Uh, uh, it's kind of indescribable how Northwest Arkansas has changed in the last... 10 or 15 years, if you track data on the percentage growth of regions, or really MSAs, um, or metros, you can think of them that way, in the United States, Northwest Arkansas is a top 10 metro for growth year over year. What's really interesting about Northwest Arkansas as well is that the, um, the, the people who are moving here are young. They are millennials. These are people who are new to the workforce. 
and that uh, puts uh, a lot of impetus on us to think about how do we uh, fine-tune quality of life of Northwest Arkansas for all these millennials that are that are moving here. Um, part of this is, yeah, mountain bike trails and out, the outdoors more generally. We, we understand this is a critical thing to get right. If we want people to, to visit Arkansas for the first time, if we want people to relocate to Arkansas, uh, we have to get uh, our outdoor recreation situation figured out. Uh, the, the terrain that we have here and the relative lack of development historically that we've had in Northwest Arkansas makes it so that we're really primed to be able to develop mountain bike trails. That started in earnest in about 2007, and uh, it, since 2007, uh, it was a partnership between grassroots organizations, the Walton Family Foundation, and local governments have made it so that this kind of 30-mile corridor, the, the northernmost point, which is Bella Vista, Arkansas, Bentonville is right next to it, all the way down to Fayetteville, Arkansas, which is where the university is, um, since 2007, um, there have been investments of over $70 million to develop trails, and right now we're sitting at about 250 miles of single track, and it's, you know, forget the exact number of paved multi-use trails, but it's got to be in a range of you know, 75 miles or so. So it's, it's we're, getting, we're getting pretty good at being able to get around the region on bike, whether you're talking about uh, um, transportation, or if you're talking about cycling as recreation, but not on mountain bike trails. We have a thing called the Razorback Regional Greenway, which is a almost 40 mile long uh, greenway that I would put up against any other greenway in North America in terms of how well it's built, how functional it is in terms of getting you to population centers, and also um, just how pretty it is because the terrain here is rolling and um, and many places still rural and really beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so, like you said, Walton Family Foundation, a big driver of this change, and that's, of course, the family behind Walmart. Um, talk to me about their involvement with all this bike infrastructure and, and why they decided to, to get so involved. Because obviously, I mean, Walmart has been around, I don't know, how, long, how old is the company? It's uh, a long time. It's 50 years sure. plus. I so mean, the family's been here a long time yeah. and it, it's only a recent thing that they've gotten involved. Why, why did they decide to do that and, and talk to me about their involvement? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I, I, um, so I am 47 years old. Um, I started racing bikes in 1986 as a junior, 15, mm -hmm. 16 age category junior. And I remember coming up to this part of the world and back in the, in the late eight or mid to late eighties, um, in road races, they would put the juniors and the veterans, as they called them back then, together into one group. So the groups would be big enough. I remember racing with Rob Walton, who was one of Sam Walton's kids, okay. back in the 1980s. So that's just one example of the fact the family has been involved in uh, cycling at a kind of performance level cycling, racing, high level cycling um, for quite a while. Um, so you've got um, Rob as being kind of a visible person that a lot of folks know, who's done a lot of, you know, a lot of incredible races, Leadville and things like that. Way back when, uh, he was um, uh, he was really the, the first family member to get pretty serious about cycling, and that is where um, folks like Tom and Stuart Walton, who are, who are well known for their focus on cycling, that's where they, as junior high kids, learned their love of cycling and. Um, it has been a, it's been something, it's been a passion project. They, they are investing in it because they love it. Uh, they are in it for the same reason that all of us are in it. They realize that uh, life doesn't get much better than when you're out with friends on a really cool piece of trail. And they, um, that, that's their motivation primarily. It is, it is, uh, it is a passion. 
Do they have a long-term plan for this area and for the trails and for the cycling infrastructure? So it's, it's easiest to think about trail development sort of in two buckets. It's mountain bike trails and then it's transportation infrastructure that includes cycling. So the easier one to answer is the transportation piece. The Walton Family Foundation helped fund a bike ped master plan for Northwest Arkansas done through a regional planning, the regional planning commission that we have here. And there is definitely a very clear plan where we want to take cycling infrastructure so that kids can ride their bikes to school, folks can ride their bikes to restaurants and grocery stores, that sort of thing. So that, that plan is very well developed and very impressive. Uh, mountain, bike, mountain bike trail development is to some extent a little bit more opportunistic um, and, and it's, you know, circumstances um, um, make things a little bit unpredictable. Um, oftentimes there are um, trail systems being built here. It's a function of are significant uh, chunks of land available for sale or if we identify a neighborhood where we can put in a trail system, are we able to go in and get recreational easements from the, the landowners? Uh, a few years ago, Arkansas passed what's known as the Recreational Use Statute. And it was a really a breakthrough for cycling. What the Recreational Use Statute states is that um, if you own a piece of property and you allow a, an organization to build uh, a trail through your property and the rider goes and injures themselves, you are free of all liability. Uh, and that was that, that made it so that easements were a lot easier to get than they would have been otherwise. Do um, how, how much has the family invested in, in cycling to this point and, and how much are they planning to invest? Since 2007, they've invested over $70 million to develop these trails. Um, now, the thing that's interesting about the foundation is that it's not just the foundation you know, writing checks without being uh, in partnership with other organizations. The most effective way of developing infrastructure is uh, in, in partnership with matching grants oftentimes with organizations that so we have community buy-in and when the community really has the skin in the game, you, have, you always have the best outcomes that way. Um, so it, in terms of, in terms of um, you know, what budget is there in the future, um, I, 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 there's not a budget that they talk about. What I can tell you is that the, the appetite to build more trails and more tra more trails, better trails and, and more quickly, the appetite is very, very strong for that, number one. But the other thing that we're spending a lot of time thinking about, it's not, it's not just a numbers game. We're not just trying to build a thousand miles of, of single track by 2021 or something like that. Rather, it's how are we creating connectivity between all of the systems that we have in Northwest Arkansas and then how is the transportation infrastructure that's part of the road network, how are we using that also to be able to connect mountain bike trails to each other. Mm -hmm. And in terms of that transportation cycling side of things, uh, you know, not to, not to be disparaging or anything, but in my mind, Arkansas or Bentonville, it doesn't have the same reputation as a cycling friendly um, destination as like you know, Portland or somewhere in California. Is, has there been pushback from local government or local community about more cyclists on the roads or infrastructure for cyclists? It's a great question. What's interesting about Northwest Arkansas, when I say Northwest Arkansas, um, when we say that here, it's there are two counties. There's Benton County and Washington County, which are the two northwestmost counties in, in Northwest Arkansas. Now those two counties are made up, I think, of 32 or 35 cities. Uh, the four big ones, um, um, you know, Bentonville, Rogers, Springdale, and Fayetteville um, have have the, the the most land mass, the most population. 
um, and have been the most aggressive in terms of cycling. But the thing that's been interesting is, yeah, different communities have um, different ideas about what they want for cycling. But when you want to get connectivity, you have to work across communities. Unlike, let's say, going to Portland, where you're dealing with one city government, right. or Madison, where you're dealing with one city government. Here, depending on the project, you could be dealing with two or three or five or eight city governments. The different different governments have different levels of excitement about uh, about trails. The city of Fayetteville, for example, has full-time people on staff who are there as trails coordinators. All they do is think about trails. They have people on staff that are thinking about cycling as transportation and active transportation more broadly between the city of Fayetteville and the university. The mayor down there is incredibly progressive and, and they are doing, they are, the, Fayetteville is really putting their money where their mouth is. But then you have, let's say, something like the city of Rogers. They just passed a couple of bond issues earlier this year that um, does a lot in the way of active transportation and bike networks, which is super exciting. But no, not every city is the same way. And there are lots of reasons for that. There are reasons of equity. The city of Springdale, which is the home of Tyson Foods, the average income there is significantly lower than a Bentonville or a Fayetteville. And they are dealing with much more fundamental um, municipal issues than um, uh, cycling as transportation infrastructure. And so how we engage with them is definitely different than how we'd engage with someone like Fayetteville or Bentonville. Does, this, does the reputation and standing of the Walton family give you a lot of leverage if there's pushback against more cycling on the roads and that sort of thing? You know, I, leverage, is a, leverage is a kind of a loaded word. I think that um, naturally the... Um, I, I, I think something that I love about my job is that the um, you look at the Walton Family Foundation and you look at the position that the, the family has taken in the public as having you know great love and a sense of conviction about cycling. That um, that is becoming really well known in the community, and so it makes it when you go out there to engage with businesses or engage with community leaders or, or elected officials. They, they now know what the position of the family is, and, and it, it, it makes kicking off that conversation a lot easier. Sort of provides le leadership from the front, sort of. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, it definitely seems like it's, yeah, it's working. I mean, hundreds of miles of trails right out the door here is pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. No, we're having fun. It's a good time. People should come and visit. Nice. Well, thanks for your time. Yeah, you got it, Spencer. Thank you. Okay, guys, let's, uh, before we get out of here, do a little off the front, off the back. What's hot, what's not in the world of cycling. Dane, what's off the front, what's off the back? Well, I'll start with off the back. Let's go with quick step floors with uh, Patrick Lefebvre complaining at uh, Perry Tour. And then you know, presidential cycling tour, Turkey stage one. Fernando Gaviria is the guy for the sprint. Crashes in the final couple of kilometers, breaks his collarbone. Alvaro Hoge is That's supposed very to be... on brand for him. Very yeah, on brand. Yeah, he crashes yeah. some. Yeah. Alvaro Hoge is supposed to take up the mantle there. Apparently, he slipped out a little bit and had to break. Just rough, rough experience there for Quick Step. And, and it's only the latest in a, a string of, of just disappointing things from that team. So, Quick Step off the back. And then off the front, I'm going to go with Quick Step. Uh, oh, well, I see, you see what I, I did there? Wow. Yeah. Maximiliano Ricci. Wait, you mean Tacunic? Uh, that's right. They found a new sponsor. That's big news for the team. They've been looking for so long. That's great to hear for cycling. This is a big budget team that was uh, shrinking its budget pretty rapidly without any big sponsors coming on. So I, I was guess. never worried for a second about them. I'll well, you that. knew that Patrick Lefebvre was going to find some manufacturer of some household item like Quick Step, and uh, now they got Tacunic for the windows. You got Quick Step for the floors. 
And yeah, Max Richese, who took that sprint win in the Tour of Turkey when given the opportunity. Impressive job from him. So really, quick step, just off the front. He's the poor man's Gaviria. Hmm, yeah. Uh, okay, I'm going to go next. Off the back, we have personal branding. Wout Van Aert, racing for Team Wout Van Aert, is over! Because Wout Van Aert has found a new sponsor for his cyclocross. That didn't take ambition. long. Sibel Sibone, off-road team, I have no idea. That's that's almost as good as De Kerning. Well, they're a continental road team. Uh, and so oh, he I now see. has this sponsorship that he's taken across. So no more WVA, West Virginia, personal branding, off the back. Uh, off the front, Mexican food. That's right, Mexican food. What? Well, that's right. Our friend Taco Vanderhorn. Taco, the the Dutch taco. Oh, that's awesome. After having a season that started with injury and finished with lots of victories, is now going to Lato NL Yumbo for 2019. Way to go, Taco. Way to go. Very happy for the taco. Well, big fan of the show, I think. He he likes what we do. Uh, Okay, Spencer, what do you got? My off the back this week is uh, tire technology because it seems like literally every single pro bike racer in the world got a flat tire last weekend between the gravel at Perry Tour that caused so much consternation in the pro field. And then, of course, uh, out at the Epic Rise, Oz Trails Off-Road, there were so many flat tires in the men's and women's race. I, and this is like across the board, different brands. I had a flat tire. I mean, it's just, it's it's pretty pretty crazy that in this day and age there's not a there's not a technology out there that'll give you that sort of protection from sharp rocks but still be a fast tire to have yeah i was about to say isn't there that technology but everyone just opts for ultralight tires because they're like i know it'll give me an edge yeah super light tires that'll flat to a point they do that but but you know that there were a lot of guys running relatively conservative tires and uh i guess they just didn't realize how how nasty it would be out there in arkansas now off the front for me, is going to be uh, crab cakes and cycling. Mm, that's what Maryland does. Yeah, kind of, basically. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but you know, the Charm City Cyclocross was this past weekend, one of the best domestic cyclocross races. It's grown from the ground up. Uh, Chris Case did a great story on that race from last year. And uh, it, was a, it was a great weekend of racing. We saw Ellen Noble win both days. She's looking like she's going to be a real factor as we roll into the the World Cup races later this fall. And uh, Jamie Driscoll with a very impressive ride-from-behind victory on Sunday. Uh, This is classic Jamie Driscoll racing because he is such a diesel engine and just gets stronger and stronger as a race goes on, reeled in everyone else, and took a win. And he, you know, he honestly doesn't win a ton of big cross races, so it's nice to see him win one. And uh, also, he went to the same high school as I did, so credit to us for going to... A little Vermont high school. Uh, back to the tire thing. I'm going to say off the back, people's bike handling skills because they just oh. can't. Yeah, they just can't deal with. Uh, you know, it's not the tires' fault. Just dodge the rocks, people. Well, to you know, to be fair, the guy who the guy who won the race, Keegan Keegan Swenson, as well. He 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 won it, and he didn't didn't flat once. Well, there you go. Just well, dodging those rocks. Lots of good stories. Check out velonews.com for more on that. Uh, well, we would love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at webletters at pocketoutdoormedia.com. We'll also post links to the stories we talked about today on velonews.com. Subscribe to the Velonews podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. And while you're there, please leave us a comment and a rating. Become a fan of Velonews on Facebook at facebook.com slash magazine And follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash velonews. Velonews podcast is produced by Velonews, which is owned by Pocket Outdoor Media. The thoughts and opinions expressed on the Velonews podcast are those of the individual and as always we leave you with the Brooklyn Boogaloo blowout playing the Bernard Purdy classic soul drums. 